Good morning to you all. Good to have you here for Sunday School, and uh, look forward to this week and the next two weeks as far as uh, Sunday School is concerned. The next three weeks here in Sunday School uh, will be like this. There's going to be a presentation of two different points of view on a passage of Scripture, and that passage of Scripture would be the beginning chapters of Acts. Acts, basically Acts 1 through 8, but could even through, extend through uh, chapter 12. Now, I'll be making a presentation about the significance of the kingdom of God in the first several chapters of Acts, with the church emerging at a later time in the book. That is the importance of the church emerging at a later time. Next week, Evan will be giving a presentation about the church, and it being the subject of Acts throughout the book. That is no kingdom emphasis uh, with uh, next week's presentation. Is that accurate, Evan? All right. Then the third week, John Barton will be asking some clarifying questions of both Evan and myself, and it'll be a panel discussion situation. At the end of that third class, the third week, thoughts will be shared about how we deal with these differences, the differences of approach as far as the idea of these first few chapters of Acts. We'll deal with how we submit in points of view that are different. And we do this for the purpose of clarity of teaching and unity of the Spirit. It's also a lesson in weighing what is essential and what is interesting but not essential. So that's how these next three weeks will go. Now I'd like you to sit in groups of four to six, if you would, so if you'd Change yourself around uh, so that you're sitting not on your own, but with a group of, say, four, five, or six. And what this will do is it'll help you in filling out the sheet as we go along. So put yourself in groups of four, five, and six so you can talk easily together. A kingdom presentation. Uh, as I'm going along, uh, if you'll fill in the sheets as uh, we go along together, help one another. As, you, as we're going along, uh, this is a collaborative effort in connection with this. The kingdom as a concept is from the commencement of the creation. As creator, God has complete authority, sovereignty, kingship over his creation. Therefore, there has always been a kingdom of God. So just as we're looking at this first sentence here, God as creator has... Kingship, yeah, kingship, all right? So that's how we'll go along. Now, we won't stop with each blank, just giving you an example there. There is a biblical use of the term kingdom of God. This term appears and is alluded to throughout the scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are questions, disagreements, doctrinal points of view in connection with the term kingdom of God, its meaning, and its use. For example, is the kingdom of God an actual kingdom with a king, a throne, authority here on earth? Or is the kingdom of God a spiritual set of values held by those who accept, are loyal, and subject to the king? Or is it both, an actual kingdom with the values of the king being accepted by those loyal to him and enforced on those not loyal to him. 
All right, let's have a quick review of what we've got so far. So let's start with the first sentence again. God, as creator, has kingship. Everybody calling it out, all right? Kingship. The kingdom of God is mentioned and alluded to in both the and. And that would be examples of Psalm 24. Uh, Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Psalm 45, alluding, uh, mentioned the king. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, the stone that's cut without, that's made without hands coming into the kingdom. Matthew uh, 6, and there are many, many other passages of scripture in connection with the kingdom. So uh, that's, that's where we are so far. These different opinions on the kingdom are usually divided. Three ways we can view the kingdom of God are, one, an actual kingdom, two, a spiritual set of values, and three, both, an actual and a set of, yeah, that's where we are so far. All right. These different opinions on the kingdom are usually divided into two major views among Protestants. They are the dispensational view, the reformed or covenant view. One's view of the kingdom of God has little or no effect on the message of the gospel, the way of salvation, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, the issues of sin, salvation, one's growth in the faith. Both kingdom views happily embrace John 3.16, Acts 16.31, Romans 6.23, By grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, is believed and practiced by both kingdom views. The different kingdom views do affect one's view of the church, of Israel, how one interprets the scripture, the return of the Lord Jesus, the way the kingdom's activities take place, and the application of those interpretations to the meaning of certain passages of Scripture. So let's take a look at what we have here. Let's, do I have my quick review sign? No, not quite yet. All right. The view of the kingdom of God that we believe and teach at the chapel is the dispensational point of view. Here is the definition of and some of the values of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, an actual kingdom here on the earth with an actual king sitting on his throne with actual authority over the nations, the earth, and all creation with actual values and actions by the king and those in his administration using their authority in the kingdom. I'll stick with the definition I've got there, all right? Okay, then the values of the kingdom. Let's take a look at these. The values of the kingdom are spiritual values, heavenly values, godly values, with a king able to execute those values on the earth, as opposed to an earthly kingdom's values of military, financial, regional, political, and population power, and the continual frustration by earthly kings not able to execute their will over the earth. Let's take a quick review from where we are. 
Okay, there are two major points of view about the kingdom among Protestant Christians. The dispensational point of view and the reformed or covenant point of view. Both kingdom views accept the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. The two views differ on the church, Israel, interpretation of, and the return of the Lord. The return of the Lord Jesus in other areas of the Bible. All right. So that's our review of what we've got so far in our discussion of the kingdom. Now it's time for you all here in the class, in that space that's provided, write your definition of the kingdom of God from your knowledge of the past, from what you've seen this morning. Write just a brief uh, sentence or two definition of the kingdom of God and importantly, what this means to you living your Christian life today. So we'll take about five minutes to do this. So take some time to write your definition, a definition of the kingdom, and why it's important to you today. You may talk about this in your groups. That's fine. Discuss it together. Talk about it. Now remember the application side of this. You have your definition of the kingdom. What does this mean to you today? Let's take another minute. Bring your thoughts to the close. Now in about uh, 30 seconds or so, I'm going to ask if some of the groups would uh, offer what you wrote down. That is not as a group, but you uh, speaking about the definition you have of the kingdom and what it means to you today. So if you'd be prepared to just share that with us uh, so that we can all hear some different points of view as far as the kingdom is concerned. All right. Who would like to share their definition of the kingdom and the meaning that it has for you today? Go ahead, Matt. Uh, I think it's twofold, the kingdom of God. It's, we, it's a place where he is. It's his kingdom. Just, uh, Steph and I were talking about King Arthur. If he was a real person, he'd have the kingdom of Camelot, and that would be it. But there would also be pink people in that kingdom. And so the kingdom is, is not only a place, but it's also a place where, where the saints are in the fold. Mm-hmm. of believing in the king and part of the kingdom is when you, it's one of those things when you say it you get the concept but when you have to define it it becomes more difficult those yeah. things, I think, always, always true it's a place but it's also the kingdom it's the kingdom of his saints how about the influence of that of the fact that there is a kingdom on yourself in your life today well it, it should be it, it, it should change the way I live Definitely direct my steps. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, we get back to the old man and the new man that were against each other. But it should have the, a profound impact on what I think and how what I say and how I feel toward the unbeliever and the believer and the believer. Yep. Thanks, Matt, very much. Anybody else offer their thoughts? Yes, Abe. As far as definition, remember God is both a place and a set of values. Given to us as Christians. The, the idea that each of us, you know, we are part of the kingdom of God, that, that, that's in scripture too. But there is a time coming when we will be part of an actual physical kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, while we live on this earth, can we live according to the kingdom values that are given to us in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, and the Beatitudes, and 
the only way we can even you know, get close to that is through the indwelling Holy Spirit, and we would never be able to live perfectly until we're free of the body and the Okay. Thanks very much. Anybody else? Kingdom and application? Nobody else wants to be sure. Uh, this is the last one. Okay. Uh, kingdom I'm in is both physical and spiritual in nature with a real king. With a real king, and I serve a king, and I'm a king's kid. Okay. Thank you. All right, let's go on here with the presentation. Are we still rocking and rolling up here? No, totally gone. All right. Uh, I took a shot at what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is a kingdom here on the earth. And then I'll add to that, it's got a capital. It's Jerusalem. It's got a capital. It has a country that is the focus of that kingdom, and that's Israel. And then it has people that are in the kingdom, and there is a king. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of God is a kingdom here on the earth with the divine heavenly king, Jesus Christ with heavenly values brought here to the earth. So that was my shot at it. And uh, the application, uh, I just think of people bending the knee before the king and of that being an aspect of my own life, of the need for me to acknowledge that there is one that's in authority over me. It's implied in the title that we give to the Lord very strongly, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has dominion. Okay, the essentials of the kingdom, the presence of the king, uh, Jesus Christ on the earth, the blessings and advantages that come from living under Christ's rule, the kingdom will be a tremendous time of blessing here upon the earth, and the subjects of the kingdom are present, whether from the Old or New Testament, that all of those will be there in that kingdom might add other things in there, but those are some of the essentials of the kingdom. The kingdom has been promised through a series of prophecies. Genesis 3, there will be one born of the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. Genesis 12, all the families of the earth will be blessed through this one that's sent. In Genesis 49, we discover that this kingly authority will come through the tribe of Judah in Israel. In 2 Samuel 7, the king will come through David's family. And in Isaiah 9, we find out that the king will be born as a child and will have great authority, great titles. His name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We find in Micah 5, his birthplace. It's going to be Bethlehem, the birthplace of David. And in Zechariah 9, we find that the king is going to present himself in a unique way. Not coming in on a white charger with great authority on his head, uh, but rather lowly on the back of a donkey he's going to come in. So those are just some things that we have prophesied, just a few of the things we have prophesied about this king. It seems, according to 1 Peter 1, verses 10 and 11, that there was difficulty in understanding by the prophets about the Messiah. Now, the Messiah is the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. The Christ is the translation of that term Messiah. It means the king, the one who's going to be the king. All right. There was difficulty in understanding by the prophets about the Messiah, the anointed one, in the things that they were inspired to write, such as Isaiah writing in Isaiah 9. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And then Isaiah 53, 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. How does the same author write about the same person and have these conflicting points of view? Psalm 22, you have almost a verbal description of the crucifixion right down to the soldiers casting dice for the vesture of the Lord Jesus Christ. There in Psalm 22, a thousand years before the crucifixion. But in Psalm 24, who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Who is the king of glory? The Lord mighty in battle. Both of these psalms written by the same author, and yet these conflicting visions of this Messiah. So the perplexity for the prophets was there seemed to be both a suffering, suffering for the Messiah and glory for the Messiah. We reconcile the two with the Lord Jesus' two advents, one on the cross, the other on the, with a crown, the kingdom. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he is going to be on this white horse. He is going to have a sword. He is going to have a name to his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to come back with great vigor and execute judgment upon the earth, setting up his kingdom. All right, let's have a quick review of what we've just gone over here. There are many prophecies about the kingdom. The prophets were perplexed about the prophecies. There was a suffering Messiah and a glorious Messiah. What's the resolution between the two views? Okay. How does he suffer and then enter into his glory? How have we, how have we resolved that? Okay, resu- okay, Steve, lay it on us. Yeah. The prophets in the Old Testament are writing about two different times. The first time he came and the second time he came. All right? Okay, let's flip it over. Now, these are short answer questions, not fill-in-the-blank questions so much. So, uh, what I'm going to do is try to make a case now for the kingdom as far as it being in these first chapters of Acts. So far, we've talked about the kingdom in general and somewhat specific terms, but now let's see about its application to these first chapters of Acts. This is the kingdom offered by the Lord Jesus Christ to the nation of Israel through his ministry. That is, he offered himself as an actual king to sit upon an actual throne, to have actual authority. All of those things were what Jesus Christ was offering to the nation of Israel. The Gospels say very little directly about the church. You have two references uh, where the word church is used, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. You have some allusions to the church that are in other portions of Scripture, such as in John 10, about there being one flock and one shepherd. Uh, You have in Matthew 13 uh, aspects of perhaps thinking about this time, the church age. But very little is said about the, the church. It's all about, almost all about the kingdom in the Lord's ministry. For us here in class, when the Lord Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, He was speaking about the actual kingdom with himself and the throne and ruling Israel and the world. The question we have in Acts, in the study of Acts, is was there an additional offer of the kingdom to the nation of Israel at the beginning of the book of Acts? 
after the offer of the kingdom by the Lord Jesus in the Gospels, with all his signs, wonders, miracles, prophetic fulfillment, preaching and teaching, and the rejection by Israel's leaders with the crucifixion of the Lord, was there in the early chapters of Acts, now with a risen, appearance witnessed, ascended Lord Jesus Christ, a renewed offer of the kingdom through Peter's preaching and the signs and wonders to the Jews by the early church. Would the nation of Israel accept this reoffering of the kingdom? Or will the nation and its leaders reject this reoffering of the kingdom? Or was there no reoffering of the kingdom? And the church begins in the day of Pentecost, and that's what the book of Acts is about. Okay, can somebody help me here? What's the question or issue in the study of Acts in connection with the kingdom, the kingdom of God and the church? Tried to describe it to you. What's the issue that I've just brought out here? Was there an actual reoffering of the kingdom to the, to the, to the people at the time after the Okay. The Lord offers the kingdom in the Gospels. It's rejected. The Lord is crucified, dies, buried, rises again. He's now alive. He appears for 40 days. And he then ascends. That witnessing of the Lord's time here of his, of his resurrection was known. And the people, that's why Peter could speak so authoritatively. You know these things. We're witnesses to them. And you know them yourself. So now the question is, in these early chapters of Acts, was there a re-offering of the kingdom to the nation of Israel? Or is the book of Acts just a story of the church's history? And that's it. Okay, that's the issue that we have before us. Is the book of Acts a history of the first 30, 35 years of the church and not anything more? Or is there a kingdom element to the book of Acts? That's the issue being discussed here in these three class sessions that we have. And I'm giving the kingdom point of view today. Okay, I ask you to write your short answer, so uh, we've spoken about it. We'll uh, move on here. And I'm trying to, I'll be making my case now. In Acts 1, during the time of the Lord's 40 days on the earth following his resurrection, Luke tells us in Acts 1, verse 3, and he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. During the 40 days, the Lord Jesus, by Luke's testimony, the Lord is speaking about the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus is not speaking about the church during those 40 days. He is speaking about the kingdom of God. The disciples then ask the Lord in Acts 1.6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? The Lord and the disciples are all talking about the kingdom not the church. When Peter preaches his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, he quotes a kingdom passage from the book of Joel. The day of Pentecost does arrive, the Holy Spirit does form the church with 120, 
in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is the church's birthday, the day of Pentecost. So, why is Peter going to Joel in a kingdom passage for his sermon? It seems that Peter would explain Pentecostal events in terms of the church and use pictures of the Old Testament. Use pictures of the church from the Old Testament. Here are just a few pictures. Uh, It's not doctrine, it's pictures. Why didn't Peter go to the story of Boaz redeeming Ruth? Okay. This kinsman redeemer who buys a Gentile bride, redeems her and makes her his own. A picture of Christ and the church there in the Old Testament. Or, why doesn't he now explain these loaves on the day of Pentecost, the very day that Peter's uh, preaching there? The people all know what happens. The high priest takes two loaves. They're baked with leaven. They're anointed with oil. And he waves them before the Lord on the day of Pentecost. It's always on a Sunday. So why didn't Peter say, now look, here's the mystical meaning that's been there and we've practiced for 1,500 years and now let me explain it to you. What you have in the priest's hand there is a picture of the church, two loaves, Jewish and Gentile, joined together, anointed by the Spirit and that's what we have on the day of Pentecost and we've been anticipating it for a long time. Or... Why didn't Peter go to some of the other Gentile brides, Isaac's, Joseph's, Moses? Why didn't he go to those Gentile brides and use that as his text? Or, for my money, uh, why didn't he go to the shepherds in the Old Testament and then take the Lord's words there in John 10? The Lord says, I am that shepherd. All the other shepherds in the Old Testament, they've been pointing toward me. I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. I have power to lay it down and power to take it up again. There are other sheep that are not of this fold. And I, as the shepherd, am going to make one flock and one shepherd. And then Peter on the day of Pentecost would say, Now look, that's what the Lord Jesus is talking about. Do you hear all these languages? There's going to be other people brought into the flock. They're not of the fold of Israel. There are other sheep that are being brought in. But he doesn't go there for his passages. Instead, he goes to Joel. And Joel is a book about the kingdom. It's about the day of the Lord. And then in the third chapter, a glorious passage about the kingdom. There's nothing in the church there in the book of Joel. And yet, Peter moves to that book to make his case. Okay, um, the question I have is, well, here, during the Lord's 40-day period after his resurrection... What's he speaking about with and the disciples? They're asking about the kingdom. Okay, What's puzzling about Peter's using a kingdom passage from Joel on the day of Pentecost? Now, I've asked you to write your answers. Let's just call out some answers. Why is that so puzzling that Peter, on the day of Pentecost, the church's birthday, <laughs> why would he go to a kingdom passage to make his case to the people there that day? It does. The, the portion that he's quoting from is then immediately followed in chapter 3 
And at this time, and then he describes the kingdom there in Joel. So it part seems out of place, but the beginning and end seems to be really what we would pull out and say that's what he's talking about. Yeah. He's right at the right yeah, he's he's taking a passage and he's applying it to the situation that you have there. Anything else? To me it's to me it's jarring. It's if you want to pe- preach a, a message about the church today, preach one about the church and take some Old Testament proofs for that. But he doesn't. He uses a, a kingdom passage. All right. Yeah, but as you, as you go through the book of Acts, God doesn't reveal to the nation of Israel everyone he's revealing to at the same time the Holy Spirit. Right? It's first the Jews, then the Samaritans, and then the Gentiles. There, there is a progressive revelation, yes. So here you're talking about a birth, and so I've been thinking about this a little bit, Phil, in that this is the birth of the church, and just like newborn babies, they can't run, walk, take care of themselves. They don't know their whole function uh, as it is. And I think as the church here, this kind of has that same uh, idea with it. Right now as they're born, they don't understand their their, their whole the whole meaning of what it's going to be. There's just a uh, initial revelation of what it is. Now, he's not preaching to the church here. He's preaching to Jews that are assembled at Pentecost. So, he's not giving an explanation of the church to the church. He's giving an explanation of what these Jewish people are seeing, hearing in their own languages the wonderful works of God. And so now Peter's trying to explain that to a Jewish person. Why are we hearing about God's word not in the Hebrew language? And so Peter's taking this passage from a kingdom book and saying, this is what you're seeing. And then there's a response by the people as well. Well, here, let's, let's go on. Let's go on. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 3, Peter preaches a sermon. It follows the healing of the lame man in the temple. Uh, let's look at Acts 3, 17 through 21. I have it on the, ooh, I have it on the screen, but I don't have it on the screen. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll quote it to you. If you guys want to go to uh, First Peter or to Acts 3, that's fine. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. All right, now let's break this apart just a bit. What's Peter saying in these verses? Peter tells the Jewish people in the temple to repent. Repent for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Repent for what you've done. I've just explained, he's taken great detail in this sermon to explain the murder of Christ. And they, they're just devastated. And they say, what should we do? And Peter says, repent. Repent for the crime I've just described to you. That the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you'll repent, there'll be a time of refreshing that comes from the Lord. So we have to ask ourselves just exactly what is that. And that he may send 
the Christ, appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things which God spoke by the mouth of the prophets long ago. Repent, so the times of refreshing will come, so that God may send Christ in the time of restoring of all things which God spoke by the mouth of the prophets long ago. Okay. The prophets long ago were not speaking about the church. They spoke about the kingdom of God. Is Peter making an offer to the nation of Israel for them to repent of the, the crime of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus? And if they would repent, God would send the Lord and restore all things. How can we reconcile the reoffering of the kingdom and the beginning of the church at the same time? Mike? God's grace. John baptized him and said, Repent. And they did. And here, the same message, repent. And so they're given God's grace is saying, Repent. It's offering. Okay. Abe? This is one of those doctrines of intellectual tension in a sense where for us it's hard to, you know, divine election and human responsibility. How do we reconcile those two? We can't. And yet it works. That's the way God works. There's nothing to say that God could not genuinely offer the kingdom to the people of Israel at that time, and if they accepted that the kingdom would be ushered in. However, God knew that that was not going to happen in his, in his omniscience and his sovereignty. He knew that was not going to happen, so you can have both of them simultaneously. And rightly dividing the word should include teaching about the kingdom, but the emphasis for the book of Acts for the remainder is on the church. And, you know, in, in a sense, it's an academic exercise for us to look at this. I would, uh, and I'm not saying we shouldn't. But that, that's what it is. Thanks, Abe. Yes, Obadiah? Um, John 1, we see he came to his own and his own did not receive him. And therefore, if you do not receive a king, how could you receive the kingdom in the second place? Because they rejected the king who wanted to start the kingdom. And God is not going to impose any sort of anything on a person because he gives free will. And I think it is God's love and grace for the people at that time He did not keep the kingdom there because they rejected it. It was not He who did not give it to them. Instead, they said, no, thank you. Okay, uh, that's a point of view. What do you do with the verses we just had where Peter says, if you'll repent, and then God will send Christ from heaven. See, it becomes a tough ball game then. Is Peter really meaning what he's saying to those Jewish people at the time? He, he says, if you're going to accept God's, uh, if you're going to accept His grace and His righteousness, and you're going to repent of your sins, that means that means you're going to accept the King in your hearts. That yes. means you're going to accept the King into the world back again, and He's going to restore the kingdom. And my contention would be that this is a sincere reoffering of the kingdom by Peter to the nation of Israel. 
And there's also, at the same time, God's having the nascent church, the 120 beginning there in the upper room. And as Abe is saying, you have both things going at the same time. That you ultimately have the complete rejection by the leadership of the nation of Israel with the stoning of Stephen later on in the book of Acts. And the church becomes ascendant in the story of Acts. So that would be... That would be the point of view that I would have and that I'm trying to present today. That in Acts, there is a kingdom element in the beginning of the book of Acts. Now, let me go to... Phil, isn't that mostly being referred to the last days? What? The, I mean, I, I mean the, the kingdom that is spoken of. Verse 17 in this chapter certainly... Which chapter? Uh, uh, chapter 2 of Acts certainly refers to the church, but then as it goes on, the, the emphasis is on, and, and Peter's sermon certainly a picture of what to expect in the last days as well, which is where the kingdom will come. Well, let's just take Peter at his word. Or let's go back. What's Peter saying in these verses? Peter tells the Jewish people to repent, and the times of refreshing may come, and that he may send Christ. Now, is he re- does he really mean that? as he says that to the people or is what he really saying now look I'm telling you this but really this is going to happen thousands of years later See, that's, that, that's the question I've gotten there Mick that he, is he talking about the latter days we would say absolutely I would say on the basis of the rejection by the leadership in Israel that that reoffering of the kingdom is, re, is withdrawn And in fact, God uses this as an indictment for the nation there in Romans 9, 10, and 11. That you, as the natural branches, have been broken off. There's blindness that you have as a nation. And now God's grafted in these wild branches into the tree. And there's coming a time where the natural branches will be brought back in again. So that's... That's the, that's the idea that I have that I'm presenting. Now, let's go to, the, uh, to this last thing here. At the same time. And so this is my word to you. Let's see what we learn in next week's lesson. Okay, Evan's going to give us a, a, different, a different point of view. Now, let me say to you, uh, this idea of a reoffering of kingdom, it is an extremely minor position uh, among Christians and among uh, people that would present this. Uh, I'm just presenting it to you as an alternative thought to the way we look at the beginning of Acts and some of the things that occur there in Acts. I do want us to go to this bottom paragraph on this sheet together. With all this thought about the kingdom of God, the book of Acts, and the church, and the church's early history, we must keep this in mind. This is not an issue to cause any kind of division among us. It's good for us to know of and think about the kingdom of God. We, however, rejoice in the truth of our being a part of the bride, the body, the building of Christ, the church universal, made up of believers both living and those who have died in the Lord Jesus, having all the joys and privileges 
of being bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We're not going to have a division in the assembly over this issue. And that's the third, uh, when we get to the third Sunday, when John's asking us these questions, that's what I want to make sure that we get communicated to everyone here. We do have different points of view on different portions of Scripture. And the elders, we had some rock and roll, knock them down uh, discussions about this. And so after all of that discussion has been finished, we came to a resolution on how we're going to teach the book of Acts. And I'm wanting these three weeks to be kind of an object lesson for you all of how we do things here at the assembly with the purpose being maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace and making sure that there is no confusion as far as what we teach. So today, you may emerge from this saying, well, I'm quite confused. You know, is this, is Acts about the kingdom or is it about the church? Okay, I gave you a point of view today. Next week, Evan's going to come in here and he's going to give you a very different point of view about the Acts. And then on the third Sunday, we'll talk about how did we resolve this as a group of elders and how is it that we're going to go ahead with the teaching of the book of Acts. I hope it'll be instructive for all of us and helpful for all of us. How is it that we maintain the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace? Let's have a word of prayer. Thanks for your attention and your participation. Dear Father, we thank you for today. Just to ask your blessing upon the uh, fact that we have the opportunity to study the word of God, discuss it together, and to then uh, come to places of resolution on this. And so we just commit this to you today and uh, pray for your blessing on the time of worship. Dear Lord, I've thought about this uh, quite a bit. May we as the people of God here at Northern Hills be known as a worshiping people. May that be the thing that we're looked at and say these people truly love Jesus Christ. They worship and they praise him. That that is the emphasis of their lives together. And so I thank you, dear God, for this weekly remembrance where we come together and we think about and contemplate who Jesus Christ is and that we are refreshed anew as we think again of Jesus Christ who died for us, who lives for us, and who is coming again. Bless the time of worship this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.